welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We celebrate Christmas together uh, today and tomorrow. Um, remember to look to his word. I've chosen Titus 2. Uh, you may, again, you may have sensed from this morning that these aren't your traditional Christmas passages. Uh, a bit unconventional for Christmas. You know, typically we are reading about the birth of Jesus as we did during announcements. Uh, Joseph and Mary and the shepherds watching over their flocks by night. Um, we, when we return this evening for our candlelight worship, uh, we will enjoy one of those fascinating accounts describing Christ's birth from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but we'll begin this morning through reminding ourselves that you know Christmas isn't only about celebrating a miraculous birth through a virgin, uh, but how uh, that scene in Bethlehem reveals the grace, the wonderful and powerful grace of God. This doesn't mean, of course, that God's grace was not present and active prior to His Son being born. Uh, surely man has been a recipient of God's grace ever since Adam and Eve had first sinned in the garden. At that time, grace was first displayed through God covering their nakedness, covering them with garments made from animal skins. Now surely we can figure that God could have woven for them some, some cute briefs out of reeds or some other organic material, trees or grass or something, uh, some sort of plant-based fibers if he so decided to. But Adam and Eve had clearly been warned beforehand that if they, if they defied God, if they disobeyed Him and sinned, they would have to die. And they did eventually die but in a symbolic sense, at that moment, the immediate death of Adam and Eve, uh, that death that they had earned, that death that they had deserved by defying a holy and perfect and righteous God, uh, temporarily was transferred to the animals which died uh, to provide for them a, a temporal uh, covering, a temporary covering. It was to hide their shame to hide their sin, you know, their embarrassment, their disobedience. It, it was communicated uh, to them through the knowledge, through the knowledge of good and evil, through the, the knowledge of their sin, the, the knowledge of their nakedness. Oh, but God, He is rich in mercy you responded with grace by showing them, well, I've got you covered. You know, sadly, it seems that uh, Adam 
and Eve's descendants ever since have been inventing new ways to uncover themselves all over again. But the grace of God was experienced in the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned, out of shame had hid themselves from the Lord, and grace from the very beginning covered them so that Adam and Eve no longer had to remain hiding in the bushes. Instead, they were, they were invited back out into the open once again to restore a fellowship with God and with one another, all by God's grace. Folks, this is what the power of God's grace does. It invites you to step back out into the open, back into the light, and you know, look at yourself, see the effects of what sin has done, and admit, boy, I guess I really blew it. But there was a sacrifice by which you can be covered. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, sacrifices were continually made, repeated, uh, as observed uh, by Adam's son Abel. Uh, Abraham, Job offered sacrifices for his family. And through the law given at Mount Sinai, another provision from the Lord our God, uh, that graciously prescribed numerous sacrifices for sins. And it is a blood sacrifice that must be offered because our disobedience of a holy God, creator of all things, seen and unseen, it demands death. Offending God demands Death. He, he is exceedingly holy and righteous and perfect, whereby sin cannot join in his presence, cannot be bound to him, cannot be in fellowship with God. And God had told Adam, the day that you eat of the fruit of which I command you not, you disobey me even one time, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve surely did die. What they needed was life. What we all need is life. Scripture tells us in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 that the life is in the blood. And the penalty of sin is death. And therefore, because God demands death... A life must be taken and its blood must be poured out on an altar to make appeasement, to make a satisfaction for our sins. The Bible uses the term atonement. It means a covering, implies a reparation, an appropriate payment, a penalty paid. And the death of sacrificed animals in the Old Testament, it, it served as a teaching device. A teaching device reminding man through very graphic imagery, a slaughter of an animal, that when he sins, there, there has to be death. Uh, those sacrificed animals, they were given as a reminder to Israel under the Old Covenant that if you want to live, there's going to have to be a substitute to take the death, and it must be by blood. Because life is in 
the blood. Now, please notice this. Death is the penalty of sin. And that sin arises from within. Sin is our problem. God doesn't sin. He doesn't cause anyone to sin. God is the giver of life. He's a supplier of forgiveness. He, he offers grace. But it's our own actions, that which comes from within us, that causes our death. James 1.13 reminds us, quote, Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, the full result, when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Death is our foe. Likewise, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. All have sinned against God. Therefore, all must die. And boy, history has revealed that the mortality rate is astonishingly high. But death is the divine penalty for our sin because man by nature is sinful, disobedient, nearly all the time. Meanwhile, God himself is good all the time. And, and grace reaches down from him to us. Grace is a divine attribute. comes from God. God's filled with grace. He, he extends grace. He, he offers grace freely. Yeah, because the term grace, is, it's often misunderstood in our age. Uh, I found for us a textbook definition of grace. This comes from an online dictionary. It is Merriam-Webster's online dictionary. Describes grace quite effectively. Webster's first definition of grace includes this. It is, quote, a virtue coming from God. A state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance and unmerited Divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Wow, that, that is an amazingly smart definition of grace from a secular dictionary. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for your regeneration or sanctification. Regeneration, that, that means to take something that is dead, like your heart, your spiritual heart, and to make it alive, to give life, to make you brand new. Sanctification, meanwhile, 
means to continue to advance, to expand God's renewal in your life by grace day after day throughout the remainder of your life. By God's grace, he offers to make you an entirely new person, regeneration. It's like being born a whole new person all over again. God offers to grant you a brand new life, a restart in life. Remember, it was Jesus who said that unless you are first born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born again, that that spiritual awakening, that that becoming alive to God, call it a zest for God, a a zeal for God, that is regeneration. When you come to the point in your life, I am alive to God. Sometimes it's described as your, your heart being quickened by the Holy Spirit, making you alive. In Ephesians 5, verse 14, it is written, it is written, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That awakening, your awakening to God is a regeneration. Additionally, by grace, God promises to keep on improving you day by day. That that is sanctification. A, A transformation in your new life of becoming increasingly holy, that means setting yourself apart to serve God, increasingly holy, even if it's just doing your little parumpa pum pum Offering yourself to God in service and becoming day by day more alert to God and His presence in your life. That's sanctification. Miriam Webster said, Grace is a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. That is grace. God restores our fellowship to Him an amazing work of grace through sanctification, making Christians, you know, the most joyful people on earth. We sing about it all the time. Let me sing for you right now. No protesting. All right. Here's a familiar one at Christmas. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, praising thee, their sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the gloom of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Arise, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
God's grace through regeneration and sanctification promises to grant great joy. You, know, you, you might own a 38-foot cigarette boat and a house right by the lake, but still be telling yourself, to this day, I don't have any joy inside of me. But there can be no true enjoyment in life without first a restoration with, followed by a fellowship with the merciful and loving God who created you. Can't be any joy, can't be any true joy without God and His grace. If you experience no true joy in life, you, you may want to ask yourself, whether your sins, again by God's grace, have been covered with blood. More to come on that in just a minute. Webster's second definition, definition of grace includes approval, favor, mercy, pardon, privilege, and kindness, and clemency. It isn't even until you get down to the fifth definition. Definition number five, that Webster describes grace as a, as a short prayer at the beginning of a meal. And because a prayer, definition number five, is, is the understanding of grace that, that many people default to, I, I decided to make sure that we are going to depart this Christmas with a crystal clear understanding of grace. Grace is God's approval, mercy, pardon, privilege, kindness, extended as a free gift, an unmerited favor to men and women. That means you cannot earn grace. Grace must be received from God as a gift. You know, grace is not earned like the Boy Scouts, where you earn merit badges to get to the next level. The Lord God of heaven who created the universe and everything in it is not impressed by anything we're going to do. He's not stunned by anything that man can do. I don't care what kind of end zone pass it was. It doesn't impress the God who created you. What man does is sin. What man earns is death. But what God gives is grace. And therefore, grace is God's undeserved and unmerited favor. It's his gift. The Apostle Paul describes God's gift in this statement from, from Romans chapter 11, verse 6. If it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works, unless grace, uh, otherwise grace is no longer grace. If it's on the basis of works, it's not grace, it's not a gift. And grace is the only gift this Christmas that can provide you with everlasting joy. So if you find yourself uh, maybe being a little miserable this Christmas... 
It may be because you've been trying to merit your way. Trying to, trying to earn your way to heaven and, and earn God's forgiveness. And realize that day by day, every day, you just you keep falling short. Any system of merit will leave a person confused about where they're going the day that you die. Was it enough? Did I merit enough? Folks, God doesn't want any confusion on this at all. So Scripture assures you and me that we can completely forget about impressing God or earning forgiveness for our sins If grace is on the basis of works, it's no longer grace. For a final definition of grace from a theological resource this time, the Tyndale Bible Dictionary defines grace in the following way. It is, quote, the gift of God as expressed in his actions of extending mercy Loving kindness and salvation to people. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God. Follow me here. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. An inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. Tyndale continues, God is gracious in action. The doctrine of divine grace underlies the thought of both the Old Old and New Testaments. However, Tyndale writes, the Old Testament merely anticipates and prepares for the full expression of grace that becomes manifest in the New Testament. This is what brings us to Christmas Day. What does Tyndale's Dictionary imply when it says that God's grace becomes manifest in the New Testament? To become manifest means in some way God's grace has appeared to man. To be manifest means to become uh, become visible, to appear. Grace, that which is unearned, that, that which is undeserved, and that which is God's grace has appeared. What did Adam and Eve earn through sinning? Death. What do you and I earn by repeatedly sinning? Is it grace? Death. And as we observed last Sunday, Scripture says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, that which we earn through sin, is death. And this is the reason everybody dies. Death is duly earned. It is deserved. 
Because the wages that you and I store up, that we earn through sinning throughout our lives, it's death. What we need is life. And life is in the blood. What we desperately need is forgiveness of sins, a concept referred to as salvation. And salvation means that you are saved. Well, saved from what? The wages, the penalty, the consequences of your sin. Saved from death. And since it's impossible to earn our way to heaven, and rather through sinning ourselves all the way to hell, we need to be shown God's grace. Because we have paved a high way to hell through our sins. You look out the window every day, you see it on TV. You see it everywhere. You hear it on the radio. You can be driving in your car down the road. And people are speeding past, faster and faster, accelerating every day to hell. In fact, many revel in it, singing a song about it, singing a song about their being on a highway to hell. How ironic. When what they, what they really, really need to hear is us singing songs about God's amazing grace. Assuring that you don't have to go to hell. But by God's grace, you are offered an entirely new life. Joy and fulfillment through Jesus Christ. A regeneration of your heart and your mind along with or followed by a sanctification that promises to renew your soul day after day throughout your whole life. A promise that never fails by God's grace. And though you may have walked in today, see visitors amongst us, maybe someone who sat here for 20 years, Though you may have walked in today speeding on a highway to hell, by grace, God has thrown up an emergency flasher sign. It says, danger ahead. Road closed. Dead end. And God declares grace is here to divert you. To, to save you from that highway to hell. He offers an off-ramp. Even though many you'll see through your window, many continue speeding by to hell, God offers an off-ramp. There's a U-turn. Places it right in front of you today. It's in a U-turn that leads to a narrow road of eternal life that few are going to find. Jesus himself said that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many speed upon it. Narrow is the way to life 
few find it. Oh, the road, the diversion, the off-ramp, the road that God diverts you to is His grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 promises, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one shall boast. Again, no person, is, no person is going to arrive in heaven boasting that they had earned it somehow. Anyone who thinks they have earned heaven as a reward of their good works, good deeds, they have not traveled the road of grace. And God gives grace to those who acknowledge their sinful road, acknowledge that they've been traveling fast toward hell, salvation or forgiveness of your sins and eternity in heaven come only as a gift once your sins have been covered by God's grace have your sins been covered by God's grace folks the uh, the true miracle of Chris, of christmas it didn't happen on 34th Street. It didn't even happen on Main Street. The miracle occurred in Bethlehem on a back street. And Matthew 18 provides us one account of how that grace of God first appeared. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had become engaged to Joseph, before they had come together intimately, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord, through the prophet, more than 700 years before Christ was born, this was spoken. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Breath of heaven. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And Mary and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the covering of our shame, the, the Savior of the whole world, not just Israel, not just the Middle East now, the whole world 
first appeared in a manger. It's the birth of Jesus where the grace of God appeared. You know, Christ didn't come into existence at that time. The the Father and the Son have always been God eternally. But having been conceived by God, the Holy Spirit, and born of a virgin, the eternal Son of God, the eternal Son, also became the Son of Man. And God became flesh and dwelt among us. The grace of God has appeared in the birth of God's Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, not conceived by man, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and God became a man. We call him Jesus. And his feet walked the earth with us. He joined us. And Colossians 2 verse 9 says, In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And God, being born a man, well, he was able to walk the earth his whole life entirely without any sin. Never sinned. Christ, therefore, prevailed where the first man, Adam, had failed. And the full divinity of God's Son is the reason that Jesus received worship even as a baby from the wise men, and continues to receive worship from every wise man and woman today. Since the day of his birth, Jesus was known as Emmanuel, means God with us. And for this reason, we gather to celebrate his birth following the incarnation, which means that God became one of us. He lived, he breathed, he preached, he did not ever sin. And you would think initially that when it comes to our sin, You know, Jesus would just simply come and preach, stop it. Stop it. But for sinful humanity, that just doesn't suffice. You know, your mom tried that with you time and again, didn't she? Stop it. What happened 30 seconds later? You started it again. Just saying stop it. It's not enough. Because you have a sinful nature and the cycle of sin has persisted throughout your life. You've coveted, you've adultered, you've lied, you've stolen, you've blasphemed his holy name. And when the Father, God the Father, sent his Son to earth, he knew, both God and Son knew, that just telling people to stop it wasn't going to be enough. It's a futile command without first showing the world grace. We can't enjoy fellowship with God or 
even with man, without first God showing us His grace. And then by acknowledging by what we have done, our sins can be covered so that we can step back out, fully clothed into the light. From the first act of disobedience in the garden, justice has cried out, death. The wages of sin is death. There must be death. But from a birth in a manger in Bethlehem, grace cries out even louder. There will be life. Sin demands death, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2. Through Jesus, God himself, by his grace, has come down from heaven to cover our sins, to clothe us with his righteousness forever through the sacrifice of his son. This is why the child, which would be named Jesus, died for our sins on the cross. Through the justice of God, though it demands death, by grace he provided one final tangible act of divine love and mercy and grace, a sacrifice a blood sacrifice, the Son of God, bearing the penalty of our sins, of all of our shame, through the shedding of His holy and righteous blood on the cross. A, sinful, a sinless sacrifice suitable for man. You know, the sacrifices of the animals, they taught us something about life and death. Something about sin and God's justice and grace for a season. But Scripture assures the blood, and bulls, blood of bulls and goats can't remove sin. Animals are amoral. They can't be morally responsible for what we've done. And therefore could never become a suitable substitute for man. Those animals only reminded us what we deserve. But God's Son became one of us. He was born just like us. He lived in human flesh just like us. A sinless man offering his Father a perfect record of obedience and was morally responsible as a sacrifice unblemished by sin Jesus offered himself to pay our penalty on a cross, nailed to a cross, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty of death we deserve, and to cover us with his blood.
700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah the prophet wrote, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. In the manger, God's grace appeared. Through a sinless life by our Savior, His grace appeared. On the cross, God's grace appeared. And on the third day when He rose from the dead, the grace of God appeared. Our passage from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Your sin caused you to live a life naked and ashamed. You've been hiding yourself from God. Someone here has been hiding themselves from God. And do you now see what God has done for you through His grace? Just as He did with Adam and Eve first in the garden, the Lord today has come looking for you. Genesis 3 verse 9 reveals, The Lord God called to the man. He said to him, Adam, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of your steps in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And I've hid myself from you. And God asks, Who told you that you were naked? And you can reply, Pastor John told me I was naked. (laughs) He showed me from your word. Oh Lord, how how now I know my sins are uncovered. I'm, I'm naked, I'm ashamed of what I've done. And now you know how God replies. Because grace says, I've offered myself a sacrifice suitable for you. And the blood of my son has been poured out on the cross at Calvary to cover you. And I will clothe you with his righteousness. He tasted death for you. You will have life in him. And eternal life is in the blood. He calls out, Take now a step of faith. Come out from the bushes. Show yourself to me. 
Wherever you've been hiding, the Lord calls out, show yourself now to me. Step out boldly in life where everybody can see you. Should have had an altar call today. Step out, people. We're not going to take time to to bow our heads and close our eyes so so you can raise your hand in private. The call to follow Christ is public. It's for you to step out and cry to Him as your Savior. How can you be covered? You trust in who Jesus is. You believe He's truly the Son of God. That He's born through a virgin, God and man. And you believe through Him that God offers forgiveness of sins as a free gift by grace. That is for you today. God offers it freely. So we close. Somebody here has been speeding through life. You've been on an expressway. But today you've seen that there are emergency lights flashing up ahead. Warning signs flashing, saying, take the exit. May be the last one. Receiving forgiveness in the grace of God doesn't mean you stay on the same highway to hell. That is such a perversion of the gospel. The good news that Christ died for your sins. People hear the gospel and they think they can stay on the same highway to hell, but somehow now that highway ends in heaven. No. No. The highway still leads to hell. There's a narrow road offered. Off to the side. It's a road called grace. You might say, yeah, but you know, that would require that I slow down. Maybe I move over to the right. Have to get off the busy road that I've been on in life. You might say, well, at least I'm not as great a sinner as the person on the left over in the fast lane. And, and besides, you know, I'm, I'm not traveling that fast. I'm kind of off on the side. In fact, I'm in the emergency lane just kind of with the flashers on. Not really that bad anymore. That was all in my youth. I shouldn't need to change course now. Here's a sobering truth time doesn't cover sin. Doesn't matter how many years ago it was, or how distant in the past, time cannot remove sin. It must be the blood of Christ that covers you. You may not be a greater sinner than the people in the fast lane. But Jesus assured you're traveling the same road. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Speaking for the apostles, the Apostle Peter said to Jesus, 
oh, behold, we, we have left everything to follow you. That's the right answer. Jesus said, now we're getting somewhere. Now you understand grace. Let's pray.